I believe in our people. Our people are amazingly resilient, amazingly resilient. A, a nation that has survived the fall of Nineveh, of Babylon, and all those massacres and genocides that can survive this too. Hi everyone, it's Miriam Zia bringing you episode 160, all the way from Iraq. Most of you know me as one of the returnees, one of those living in diaspora who has moved back to the homeland. Well, today I'm interviewing yet another returnee, Nina Blamasu. Nina Blamasu is a household name by now. I had heard of Nina much before I had met him, and with such varying opinions of him floating around, I was very eager and curious to meet him personally. Nina's love for the Syriac language, his life as a refugee, and the culture shock he experienced as an immigrant in New Zealand inspired him early on to compose poetry as a mechanism to cope with his struggles. He then made the transition from poet to academic, completing a bachelor's in archaeology and cuneiform studies and a master's in Aramaic language studies before embarking on a PhD path that he would later stray from, thus giving rise to the curious case of the missing manuscripts and some controversy that left many perplexed and left Nina feeling he was a victim of character assassination. Taking the path less traveled, Nineb returned to Iraq in 2018 to be able to help his people more directly. Taking part in the Iraqi federal elections, he had hoped he would make a more positive impact with his work. Since then, Nineb still lives in Iraq and dedicates his time to peace-building efforts. Before we get to this week's interview, I want to remind you to make sure you subscribe to the podcast and rate and review it wherever you listen to it. Also, if you know someone who should be on the podcast, please reach out to us. You can find out more information about nominating future guests on our website. This episode is sponsored by the Ushana Partners, a husband and wife real estate team. Are you considering purchasing or selling a home in Arizona or California? John and Rita are available to help make your next real estate decision into a seamless transaction. Contact the Oshanas at 209-968-9519. Get to know them a bit more by checking out their website, theoshanapartners.com. And now, here is Nina Blamasu. Nina Blamasu, welcome to the Assyrian Podcast. Well, Mariam, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure uh, to be here and be part of this uh, Assyrian podcast. Uh, and I'm sure I'm looking forward to this conversation. Well, me too, actually. Um, a lot. <laughs> I've been waiting for it for so long. I'm so glad we Feeling finally got mutual, together. Yeah. Before we started recording our conversation, we were talking about Dere and Komane. And you were telling me about some childhood memories that you had. You were born in Kirkuk, right? Yeah. I was born in Arafa Kirkuk. My family is one of the very oldest families that settled in Kirkuk. My dad in Kirkuk was known as Gagumaslawi or Gagutoma because he was born in Mosul, the West Bank of Mosul, El Ayman. Uh, That's the old part. Old part, right. uh, Mosul, Etapta. 
my mom's family came from Hebania. So eventually they met each other, got married. Seven years uh, love story. Seven years? Seven years. Was yeah. your mom's family refusing to give her to Twice, and then on the third time, uh, it got a bit tribal. My uh, paternal grandfather is from certain tribe, my maternal grandfather from another. Uh, and on the third time, he said, I'm not giving my daughter to anyone from that tribe. Paternal grandfather, uh, uh, grandfather was uh, very adamant to keep on asking for her hand if my dad really indeed did love her. Mm-hmm. But on that occasion, uh, he said, well, you're not my son if you don't elope with her. What? And my dad was looking for an excuse. So, yeah. So then they eloped. They eloped, yeah, after seven years of a love story. I've never heard of a parent actually encouraging his son to... to never elope. did. Uh, he was uh, totally against it. Uh, Ma, his father said, no. If you do love her indeed, we will ask for her hand a thousand times. You get refused a thousand times, we'll ask for her hand another thousand times until we get her out of the door, not out of the window. You know, yeah, um, yeah. think of this phrase in Assyrian. I'm <laughs> literally translating it. And upon going on the third time, my maternal godfather said that, then that's where it got tribal. Yeah. No. How dare he say that? Yeah. Go and elope yeah. with her. Yeah. Uh, Assyrian stubbornness, I guess. Mm. Yeah, a, a yeah. role to play. I, I did, yeah. So, um, yeah, born uh, and raised in Kirkuk. Um, and then Dero Komane. In 86, we fled Iraq. 85, we f- uh, moved to Dora for about a year. In Baghdad. In Baghdad, yeah. And from there, we fled to Iran. My mom, my mom's side, um, her paternal cousins are found in Komani and to some degree also uh, Deri. So we fled to Komani and from Komani they helped us find people to uh, help us flee to Iran where we walked in the mountains for like 17 days I think it was. What was happening at that time in the country that made you and your family flee? There were political uh, tensions Certain people were politically targeted for their uh, political tendencies. And also there was uh, the army. You know, uh, for example, my eldest brother had just turned 18, where he was called for uh, conscription. So that was another part of it. <clears throat> so we fled to, it was about yeah, 10, 7, 10 days, maybe a little bit more. First, we went to Derigne. From Derigne, we went to what was called Maqar al-Awwal, first compound of the Iraqi opposition on the Zap River. Ah, crossing the Zap was an ordeal itself. So all of this was on foot? All foot, uh, and uh, mules, actually. Mules, yeah. Yeah. Uh, But crossing the Zap, uh, that was uh, really an ordeal, an image... uh, that I can never forget. And then uh, <clears throat> once they interrogated us, uh, all those that had fled at the first compound of the Iraqi opposition, then we embarked on uh, walking the mountains all the way to Zewa, which is a village in Iran on the Iraqi border. And from there, took us to Urmia interrogations, from Urmia to Salam, uh, to Khoi, which is near Salamas, from Khoi to Varamin, near to Tehran. From the Ramin, they took us to Jahrum. Who's they? The uh, Iranian officials. Um, to the extreme south, really. 
And then in uh, Jahrum, they weren't just Assyrian uh, refugees. So you had what they called uh, Tabi'iyya, uh, those Shiite uh, Iraqi citizens whom uh, were accused of not being Iraqis, but Iranians living in Iraq. Mm -hmm. So they were deported. And those uh, who were deported lived a great deal of them in Jahrum refugee camp. So it was Musardi, uh, you know. Yeah. And uh, naturally the Syrians wanted to celebrate. And then a small conflict occurred and then it grew. So the officials, uh, uh, the Syrians complained to the officials, said, okay, these are our uh, rituals and rites and uh, so costumes and we need uh, costumes and we need uh, to be able to practice them. Uh, and if, if, if this occurs every time we practice them, then move us to another refugee camp where it's just us. Right. And they did just that. They moved us back to Varamin, which is nearer to uh, Tehran. And that was all Assyrians. My maternal grandmother is from Ormi, where her uh, sisters and brothers were still in there. It's one of the very much, uh, very known, renowned uh, Assyrian families in Iran. Not on the level of the Assyrians only, on the level of Iran as a state, uh, the, da the Darash family. So we lived with uh, our uncles there in Tehran. They added their own touch to what we already had as a family uh, when we moved there. Culturally, philosophically, politically. And I think I would say they played a big part in much of my outlooks on life, to be honest. What about your experience in the refugee camp? Would you say that also impacted a little bit of who you've become? Huge. Huge. Uh, you see, uh, there are certain facts. Some we can reconcile with, some we can't. Um, there are, let's say, milestones, hallmarks throughout one's life. They all influence us. Some influence us positively, some, some impact us negatively. Those that impact you negatively, you need to self-reconcile with them in order to move forward. And once you reconcile with yourself and with these certain steps, milestones that generally are negative, you start seeing the positive in it. Mm. You know what I mean? So, but you can only do that once you, when you are reconciled with yourself and with those moments. So, to be honest with you, <clears throat> me being here, me being a refugee, has a huge part in it. I, I know it because I'm reconciled with it. Mm -hmm. um, I think when you go through hardships, it makes you a true human being. You've read Cahil Gibran? Yeah. Oh. So Cahil Gibran, for example, you, can, you can't enjoy and feel and indulge in happiness if you have not uh, felt sorrow, mm -hmm. real sorrow, mm -hmm. deep sorrow. Mm -hmm. um, nor can you appreciate... Uh, uh, happen uh, other way around. Mm -hmm. So now we treasure life because we've gone through certain points in our life where uh, life could have gone in any second, and you saw life going in any second. 
and it could have been you in any second. Uh, so you start appreciating it. But in um, refugee camps, um, I think the hardships are known. But I want to focus on some positive aspects, which demonstrates the strength and resilience of our people. Mm. Yeah. The reason I say I'm not going to talk about the negatives because we relived it, uh, uh, even the generation that did not go through what we did and are born in the diaspora, they lived it at least through television, social media in 2014. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah? So they know what it takes to be living uh, in camps and tents and uh, uh, hard conditions. But let me uh, focus on the uh, uh, positive aspects. In Varamin, once the refugee camp was all uh, us, a certain group of very dedicated individuals converted a tent. They dressed it in uh, white bedding sheets, okay. like inside, and a makeshift altar. I see. Um, so we had a church to uh, hold the morning and uh, evening prayers. During the day, some of these uh, uh, dedicated individuals started teaching Assyrian. For example, Rabita uh, Yulia, now she's in London. There were some that taught mathematics in Assyrian. And Nina, my sister, for example, taught English and French. French? Yeah. Where did uh, she learn French? Uh, Nina was mad about French. We had, uh, you know, both of my parents' side, we are Assyrians of the Chaldean Church. I grew up as uh, Chaldean by faith. Mm-hmm. So some of my dad's cousins uh, from Dohok, Semele, and Hijirke would come and serve uh, the military in uh, Kirkuk, so they would stay with us. Some of them studied in the seminary in Mosul. So uh, Nina uh, uh, capitalized on that, and she started uh, getting them to teach her French. So so she taught French uh, and English, uh, and... There was a Syrian uh, language and mathematics. These are things I remember. So, you are a refugee. You don't have a sugar to have your tea with. So, you start using raisins. And then, all of a sudden, raisins stop. You don't have good, clean drinking water. Um, You are living in tents. Some of you are lucky. There was a, a, a small hole with three bedrooms and a very small, like, a kitchen area, almost like uh, one by one mm. or two by two max, and uh, four by four, uh, ro- three rooms each, four by four, stemming out of that. Um, each of these four by four rooms is a family. And wow. this two by two, those that were lucky, that were not intense. Uh, the, the, this two by two was like a kitchen, you know. So you had, if you had eight family members, four by four is your room. If you were just a husband and a wife, the four by four was your room. So can you imagine this was the best yeah. condition you were at? So <clears throat> in light of all these, uh, there is no light in the end of the tunnel. You don't know if you go on back. Mm-hmm. The situation is improving in Iraq for you to go back and live uh, an, uh, uh, a normal, dignified life, or you're going to make it to some country in the West. You don't know. It's vague. Uh, and these conditions, no money, 
sometimes you are lucky you get some family from abroad sending you uh, uh, money for you to sustain and maintain your livelihood but at the same time you build a church not just for praying but for uh, teaching the language mm. and providing uh, needed skills language skills for potential countries that you could make it to so french and english were seen for example english of course it's you being from montreal you wouldn't like <laughs> Watch it what you're about to say. <laughs> lingua <laughs> let's take a lingua franca you wouldn't like it as a french speaking canadian but uh, yeah so and then you have the real lingua franca and with the english so that that was uh, that did, to me that's why um, when people feel this immense despair when for example these last elections yeah mm. i don't i believe in our people our people are amazingly resilient amazingly resilient a, a nation that has survived the fall of Nineveh of babylon and all those massacres and genocides that can survive this too because we're talking, i've uh, we're talking about the Iraqi federal elections. Elections, yeah, 2021. So, you know, as you know, you hear, you feel, you see that a lot of people feel despair. Uh, but no, our people are resilient. We must believe in our people because our people have constantly proven to us that there is nothing that they cannot overcome. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I'm a strong believer in that, uh, an advocate for that. But you don't need to spoon feed them. They're also smart. Let's not underestimate uh, our people. Sometimes, if we have intellectuals, I mean, I think we suffer from what I like, well, it's not my term, it's uh, Antonio Gramsci's, uh, organic uh, intellectuals. Uh, so, our, you know, Lenin said, pity bourgeois. Oui. We have pity intellectuals. Mm. Much, sadly. So, some of our pity intellectuals uh, underestimate how clever, smart our people are. Don't spoon feed them. Show them the facts and they are able to choose what is right. So indirectly, you are leading them to the right path, but not spoon feeding them. Mm. Um, so I, I, the refugee camp really made me believe strongly uh, that uh, it made me a better human being it made me to feel really feel empathy as human beings empathy is a natural uh, we are born with empathy it's our it's in our nature Absolutely. it's not for example um, uh, toxic masculinism you're not born with it you it know, develops. It develops society, the, the, the environment you live in. It's, uh, it's, uh, it toxinates you. Okay, But empathy, no. You are born like you are born with your limbs. Yeah? But eventually some of us lose it. You know? Just how we are fed to uh, you know, toxic masculinism. We turn into toxic uh, masculine uh, individuals. So... Uh, Empathy, likewise, but the society, the environment, uh, strips you out of it. Mm -hmm. But when you go through these hardships, no, it, 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 it becomes 
part and parcel of everything you do. Um, and I think makes you a better human being. Uh, also, uh, it made me everything of I have done in my life as a hobby, uh, as a career, uh, as an academic uh, aspiration or uh, study, in, endeavor, whatever. I've always done it with the people in the refugee camps in my in front of my eyes. I always try to do what uh, I do with the with that in mind. So how can I help that not from occurring again? Uh, you know. So it does. It has actually played a huge part uh, in me. It's not just that. Also, is the collective memory. When we were kids in Iraq, uh, we would do our homeworks, and as a child, straight away, put there was a condition at home that you do your homeworks, you prepare, then you can watch TV cartoons. Mm -hmm. So, very eager to watch cartoons, we would do our homework, done and dusted, all ready for tomorrow, so we can watch Green Dyson. I was mad about Green Dyson. <laughs> Grindizer, my God, uh, I was mad about Grindizer. So I would turn Grindizer on or Papero or whatever it was, Sandy Bell. And Sandy Bell. <laughs> Does that ring a bell in it Canada? It rings a bell. Mm -hmm. yeah. Sandy Bell, uh, Suzuki, Papero. Uh, so my, uh, if my dad's, his dad's cousins, like the elder ones that actually lived, uh, the genocide and the Semele Massacre would come to us, my dad would have us switch the television off, uh, sit us in front of them and ask them to tell us all about this. So, you know, as a kid, it's, it becomes, it's no longer the person narrating uh, uh, their own uh, the survival testimonies um, but it becomes you. So that formed a lot of what uh, I became, and the refugee camp, uh, it played a very important part. So how many years were you in the refugee camp? Uh, in the refugee camp, uh, I think Shara, you know, Matmariam, I think, has a Shara and a Dukhrana. Yeah, I think Shara is in August. Shara Matmariam, because it was about August. Uh, 86. And then I think we made it, uh, we fled to Iran. And uh, in uh, 1991, we made it to New Zealand. Yeah, so about four or five years. Yeah. Well, so quite a long time mm. before you finally made it to New Zealand. Yeah, some stayed even longer, poor souls. Yeah. When, when you arrived in New Zealand, what was it like for you? Ah, that's, a, that's where I started writing poetry. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, I, it was a cultural shock, really, to say the least. Because uh, when we arrived, despite having uh, been taught English by my sister, uh, but my sister, whose English uh, was through my father, uh, my father was uh, an English, uh, very Oxfordian, you know, Hello, how are you? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but um, you come to New Zealand, half of what they say you can't understand. Right, you know, the like accent. The accent. And then 
my parents put me in uh, St. Patrick's High School, which was a private Catholic. You know, this is where the Calian part comes in. So Catholic school, uh, lovely school it was, lovely uh, te- uh, teachers, but I found it difficult. Uh, we had just arrived. We were trying to build our family, our livelihood, furniture, car. Mm. Uh, just getting your bearings, uh, really. Exactly. And then uh, having this straight away into high school mm. from not having any education, prior education, other than the church tent uh, <laughs> makeshift in uh, Iran. Uh, it was, you know, it's very difficult to catch up. That was a challenge. And then bullying uh, was another, because the desert storm happened, uh, uh, the uh, coalition, American attack on Iraq, on, uh, uh, well, I say Iraq, uh, Iraq and the Saddam. Mm-hmm. And you're constantly bullied because you are from Iraq. You natural way of retaliating, uh, being an Iraqi, is punch them back. Oh, and, no. then, yeah, and then you or, or, or headbutt them. Uh, and then you end up going to the teachers. They are articulate. They can um, articulate themselves. You end up in the wrong. Um, so that was, I mean, I mean, I was a kid, but now I would approach things non-violently through non-violent communication, non-violent approaches, uh, where I can mitigate the situation mm-hmm. and have the other person understand why their behavior uh, is affecting me negatively and how we could find a middle way to communicate. But, you know, I was a teenager, young, so, uh, and coming from... Iraq, you know, uh, so that could be really in a bad. Uh, and I, I also started working after school, where I uh, used to uh, deliver newspapers. Uh, and at that day, at that age, really, I ended up buying the uh, uh, furniture for the house. We didn't have any couches. With your newspaper delivery yeah, inside, I, yeah. Wow. Yeah, so I did a lot. Actually, not just that. After there was a car dealer, so I would deliver the newspapers, come to the car dealer, wash and polish uh, the cars, and go home uh, and study also. I remember uh, at one particular day for our English class, uh, we had to read uh, Lord of the Flies. Yeah. And you are given a few essay questions, and you had to write uh, what do you think, analyze really. I read it maybe thrice, um, and it was like uh, over my head. I couldn't understand it. I, I was getting frustrated. Um, it was too difficult of a language for me. Uh, my my mind was not. Uh, I was not composed because of all these situations. On top of that, my uncle passed away here in Kirkuk, and his family fled to Turkey, and we had to help them come. To New Zealand, so all these things, you know, you're not settled really as a family, as an individual, uh, and yet you are uh, to perform. But you know, I found it difficult. So I remember it was in uh, Wellington. Um, in that particular room, I wrote my first poem, and I still remember a few lines of it. It's Kula Dunya Kimagilul Tarukta 
All this white vast world, but yet I don't have one single place to feel comfort or to rest in. So this is that just describes the situation the I was uh, the state right, I was yeah. in. Yeah. So um, it was very difficult. Um, and then my aunts had moved to Australia in the sixties and all because Australia wanted to boost its population and uh, had offered citizenship to those who worked with the British as technocrats and what have you, during their mandate uh, in Iraq and later on. So my grandfather, maternal grandfather, had, so uh, my two aunts went, but we all remained. My mom said, what are we doing here? So let's wait for our citizenship. We know we don't know anyone here. We don't have any family here. So after three years, you get your QE citizenship. And at that stage, not now, it's changed. Uh, you move to Australia for the first six months, you must rely on yourself if you find a job or not. And after the after the six months, uh, you are treated like an Aussie. Luckily, all the family members, as soon as we arrived, we found uh, jobs. And then we settled there and became naturalized. And uh, I met my wife uh, there. We married there and then moved to the UK. Were there a lot of Assyrian families in New Zealand when you arrived? Ah, um, there were about, I would say, a handful or maybe ten families. They are considered the first wave of Assyrian arrivals. They arrived from uh, Greece. And then it was us. A whole airplane full of Assyrians, really. We flew from Iran to Delhi, a few stops in India, and then to New Zealand. So we would have been, dare I say, 20, maybe 30 families. There were very few. But despite all that, uh, uh, during those three years, uh, we did a lot. Um, there was, uh, I would like to say hello to a friend of mine, much older than I, Khams. Uh, together we opened up an Assyrian radio station, which uh, was, I think, 15 minutes a month. 15 minutes a month. Oh, at that time, it was like the whole uh, world has become used. You know, coming from refugee camps and you have a radio. Um, I still have a recording of one of the poems uh, I had written. Khamis said, Nina is nice, recited. Khamis was a very good supporter and encouraged me. I was only very young. So you told us about how you started writing poetry. Hmm. Um, going back to poetry again, can you tell us how your love for the language began? Yeah, um, you see, you do things subconsciously, but eventually you try to trace them back. Um, mm. A lot of what I do is connected to my father. Uh, my dad's uncle, Rabbi Shaul, in Kirkuk, dad would always say, when we talk about language, he said, this is your uncle, he knows Lishana Atira. He's very good in Lishana Atira. Um, so, uh, and one time to my father took us to Nomrut, which ISIS destroyed you know that yeah so uh, going through Nomrut and having a look and all um, there are cuneiform writings on the oral reliefs so he said this is our 
اول ايد اللي شارن اتيقه صار اوه اوكي اف هيرد ذس تيرم بيفور او ذس از اور انشنت لانجويج اوه سو مامشا ول كان ريد ذس انكل شاول كان ريد ذس هي سيد نو نو ذس از ايفن اولدر ذان وات هي كان ريد سو ذات كرييتد كويشن ماركس سينس ذن اند ذن رابي تيوليا ريلي هاد ا فيري هيوج انفلونس شي ميد مي لاف لانجويج You know, when you love a teacher, you love the subject they yeah. teach also. Yeah. And uh, I fell in love with language and it was always in my mind. And I started practicing it, writing it, poetry. And then uh, eventually I decided to go to Tur Abdin after I had just, we had been married for maybe two years or a year and a half. It's just, I really, I'm, I love language and I wanted to go study the uh, what we now know as Lishan Atiqa, mm-hmm. the Syrian dialect of Orha uh, Edessa, what you hear in church. Uh, so in Tur Abdin, uh, Mor Gabriel Monastery, someone who I wanted to study uh, under, we became colleagues and best friends. Uh, and produced a, a journal later on together. Can you imagine how yeah. I wanted to study under him? Now we are co-editing a journal together. So um, I wanted to go and spend about six months in the monastery uh, because that was the only language spoken, not only taught, but you could not speak, but the Shana in the monastery. And then we eventually moved to the UK and studied in uh, uh, SOAS, So language, that's how it started. I think that first question, what is it? Um, and then if you tell me what are the essentials you cannot live without, I would say language. Not a day passes by that I don't... Uh, can I say something? It won't be sounding good. No, go ahead. I'm misunderstood. Please, listeners, don't misunderstand. Me and my language make love to each other. <laughs> well, that's an image, uh, yeah. yeah. We really make love to each other. If the language does not make love to me and I to her, uh, I'm, uh, I'd feel that night something is missing or that day is something missing. Often I might write something and erase it straight away because I'm not convinced with it, but I still have to write. Very dedicated to that. So would you consider yourself a full-time poet? It's... But I take pride most, uh, most pride in, yes. Uh, full-time poet, I would love to be full-time poet. I would like to, my dream, uh, certain villages in northern Iraq, Aqri, uh, for example, right in Berwa, right on the Zab River, nice and quiet. You hear the Zab, and then you hear the birds, you hear the wind, the leaves on the trees. I have a nice fireplace. And just write, read and write. Uh, that's my that's my full time poetry. Uh, being poet, at the time, no. But is uh, a poet that squeezes time in every day to write. And so, it was your love for language and poetry that somehow inspired your studies in archaeology and cuneiform studies. Mm, yeah, I applied as a mature age student and studied uh, in the UK. Um, so as 
Yeah, I did uh, my uh, BA in Engineering and Studies Archaeology and Cuneiform, and then my MA in MPhil in Cambridge, and then uh, PhD, which I put on hold for. Actually, no, uh, this last visit, Jeffrey and I had a very good talk about it, so I'm resuming it soon. So who's Jeffrey? Uh, professor Jeffrey Khan is a religious professor, uh, the leading professor and authority on modern Assyrian language uh, at the University of Cambridge, uh, the old Oriental faculty, now called FAMES Faculty of uh, uh, African and Middle Eastern Studies, uh, and um, one of the nicest person you can ever meet. Uh, he's like a, I wouldn't say like, he is a father figure to me. So this... Leads us to a little um, <laughs> unpleasant yeah, question. <laughs> we we must address the elephant in the room. The, so bear with me. Elephant yeah. to you, <laughs> elephant a mouse to you. for me. Oh, okay, okay. So in May 2019, uh, a controversial article was published entitled "Why Assyrians Must Demand Accountability to Protect Our History and Future: The Curious Case of Nina Blamas," in which you were basically. Um, being called out for a few things, yeah. uh, namely abandoning your studies at Cambridge without communicating about it or deregistering or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And the second part was uh, not returning the collection of works and materials that were lent by Yuval A. Baba and Sargon Bulas families. Mm -hmm. And I think everyone listening <laughs> <laughs> uh, and everyone who read the article had some questions. Why was the research left incomplete? Were where are the books? Mm. Why have they not been returned? Mm. Or have they been returned? And we mm. just don't know about it. And and why has there been no explanation from you about what really happened? Can you read the title and ponder over it? Why Assyrians Must Demand Accountability to Protect Our History and Future. The Curious Case of Nina Blamasu. Ponder over that. And ponder very well. It's trying to lead you somewhere. It's trying to get you to think about certain things, about certain people in a certain way that they, they want you to think. First of all, I'm not the first to go through certain phases that find it difficult to put my academic studies on hold. Absolutely. I, that, uh, I'm not the first, nor am I going to be the last. I can relate. Okay. I myself put it on hold yeah. my master's thesis uh, for a while. Yeah. Remember I told you about organic intellectual? Mm -hmm. I aspire to be one, yes. Uh, I don't, I'm not ashamed to say it, but I can't say I am one, you know. But I felt for someone who is perceived by people, I don't claim I, I am, uh, but is perceived by a number of people, a good number of people, to be one of their intellectuals, uh, I aspire to be an organic intellectual who knows what their role should be in society and should play that role irrespective of the uh, consequences. Uh, so I really want to address the people, not the people as in our people, not the individuals behind this article, because uh, it's more important to talk and converse with you people than others. Uh, but I am in uh, touch with my people in Iraq through daily communications and through annual long period visits. Uh, visit villages, uh, towns, sit with all sorts of people. And that made me feel 
And still, I still believe it. And that's why I'm still here. If we don't do something, bring about a change, and not just any change, but a positive change, that's the end of us. We have to be realistic, Maryam. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're feeling ill, but you're not admitting it, you, you won't end up going to the doctor, the physician. And the physician would not prescribe uh, the, the medication that will actually heal you. Um, so the more we are in denial, the more we cannot find solutions. Uh, and I am fully convinced, just like I was then, that we need to do something. And I put my PhD on hold. Not many people would do put their PhD on hold for such a reason. They might put it on hold for other reasons. But I put it on hold on the account of my family, my kids, my future, and wanted to come to Iraq and make a difference. I tried one of the avenues. Uh, it didn't work. But uh, somehow I'm glad that avenue did not work out because I am now doing what I'm doing on a larger scale and maybe more effective than if I was doing it through that avenue. I am able to reach people from Fao to Zaho and advocate and make certain cases heard, which is much more effective in my mind now. But at that stage, that was the avenue that I thought I could do. Make and a that was politics. Politics, yeah. run for elections. Um, what I do, a lot of what I do now is also politics, uh, but politics is just not in the parliament. Much of what it is in the parliament, there are no parliament, uh, politicians in the Iraqi parliament, <laughs> nor Assyrians, <laughs> nor other Assyrians. That's not politics. That is interest-based politics and personal-based politics or party-based politics. Interest. You see, there is a difference. Not people interests, uh, you know, individual, no. party. Uh, what would they call in Arabic, muhasasa, for example, you know. Uh, so that I uh, ran, uh, ran for, and I put my study on hold. Now the books are an interesting uh, <clears throat> thing. Well, I'm glad to tell you that the books uh, were never meant to be uh, kept by me for me. That was never the intention. But of course, if you read the article, no, it's the image portrayed. But I really appeal to you and others. You see, the you're an academic also, right? You said, uh, but you studied how to do for at least quantitative and qualitative uh, uh, research. research and designing uh, research questions for field uh, yeah. research. Okay. So you may be familiar with leading questions. Mm -hmm. Read the article. I dare you find one, not one, a single question that is not a leading question. Read it carefully. Read it as an academic. Read it with why these people are writing this, not just uh, uh, what it is being said. Let's not exaggerate. Maybe you'll find one or two that are not leading questions. But... The article, it's designed to drive something and drive it somewhere. So the books. <clears throat> the books, I had just arrived to the UK. Um, we lived at one stage in South Ealing. 
where the Assyrian club is. Uh, I'm not in the Assyrian club, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, can you imagine? Um, don't sleeping on the weekend. Uh, uh, dalal dalal. <laughs> so um, I went to the library and uh, I noticed there were certain sections that had books in uh, Hindi mm-hmm. and maybe Urdu also, maybe even Polish. So it occurred to me when uh, in Australia, Fairfield Library has a section on Assyrian book, Assyrian book section. And I thought, well, uh, in London, Ealing is considered the Fairfield of uh, um, uh, the Assyrians in London. Skokie. Uh, uh, <laughs> Chicago Skokie, you know. Um, so I thought, this is where we are most concentrated. Um I wrote to them, and then they said to me, no, uh, because there are not enough of you, uh, relatively speaking, Mm -hmm. as in Hindi speakers, Urdu speakers, or Polish speakers. That went, uh, and whilst I was still in SOAS, in London, studying, I became very good friend with Jeffrey. Jeffrey really, I mean, I I tell you really, um, and if you call Jeffrey now, I'm sure he will tell you the feeling is mutual. He looks at me as a son. And I look at him as a father. But this did not come easy. That developed through beautiful mm-hmm. relationship. Uh, and sometimes that could be a problem, you know, because you as a son expect more from your father than you expect from your supervisor. If your father was also your supervisor, you expect more. And, and your son, like, uh, son yeah. likewise. So he would expect more from you as a son than he would do from another student. Mm-hmm. So we had this uh, father-son relationship. Um, so... I wrote to him, and then he called me back about a week or two and said, it's fine. I said, what I still... Did, what was uh, that? Uh, to, for us to have a collection in uh, Cambridge of Assyrian books. And I didn't expect that. It was just someone dreaming, you know. Uh, you know, imagine you dream of uh, becoming a, a superwoman. And then, you know, in a blink of an eye, oh, I am superwoman, you know. <laughs> You don't expect. Well, what am I, I going to do? Well, I didn't you want are. to tell you earlier, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, only Superman can interview Superman. <laughs> <laughs> Not very humble. Very, very humble of you, isn't it? Of us, actually. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, it, it, uh, now I thought, okay, what am I going to do now? It coincided when uh, a Syrian Youth Federation of Sweden was very strong, very active, and had good amount of funding. A friend from a member of the Syrian Youth Group in Sweden had to do his research in London, Cambridge archives. So he came to my, uh, he emailed a group of friends how we could support him in terms of um, expenses for him to conduct his research. I, I had very humble means, but I said, uh, what I could do, I could offer the accommodation and whatever we eat, he can join us. Whatever we drink, he can join us. Our humble abode is uh, Mikasa to Casa. Mm-hmm. So uh, Mikasa to Casa happened. He stayed with us and carried out, conducted his uh, uh, research in Kubridge, uh, British National Archives. And um, I spoke to that colleague and said, this is what it is. But now what are we going to do? But you uh, have the funds as uh, a Syrian uh, federation. Let's Youth Federation. Let's start something. And then eventually we started meeting, discussing. We established um, MARA. Okay, what is MARA? Modern Assyrian Research Archives. Um, I've been active in the community since I was 11, 12. Uh, So I've seen a lot. Being grown within 
organically within the community and active in everything from day go day one uh, you have developed a good understanding of how you com- what your community needs are what you don't need someone to tell you you don't need to go and do an interview with someone to tell you these are my needs mm-hmm. you don't need KAI key informant mm-hmm. interviews um, you are a key informant yourself yeah. so um, from that experience I didn't want it to be in a club or in a certain institution my vision was to have it in an academic institution so we worked towards that uh, we took good strides um, and I collected a lot of stuff uh, recordings and stuff uh, a lot of my colleagues did Thomas Isik uh, did a wonderful job and then it got at a stage they wanted to have it in an Assyrian club uh, and Jeffrey was very helpful. Everything that Mara asked, he provided. Secure server, everything to be catalogued on the Cambridge University server. Um, uh, They wanted it in the UL University Library. Uh, He managed to do that, but they said we need to access it. Um, So we put it in the faculty library, where it's also a a university academic library, and accessible for non-students. So everything, but... Eventually, they were not convinced, uh, so I pulled down. I said, it doesn't have to be Cambridge. Let it be wherever it is, but an academic institution. Uh, you know why? I've seen it. It's happened too many times. Maybe some people listening to me have had a similar experience. We have a lovely committee for an Assyrian club. Let's call your house here now, mm-hmm. right? Uh, let's call it the uh, uh, Mariam Assyrian Cultural Center. Mm-hmm which has me, you, the people who wrote the article, uh, others who are very keen of having uh, an archive, a library in Mariam Cultural Center. We are the committee. Yeah. And there are members. Five years down the track, uh, they, the members voted us out. Or maybe we... We left. We left. Um, the new committee might come and say, you know what, um, instead of having these books here, let's expand... Uh, the dance floor. Uh, the <laughs> dance floor. So they will end up in somewhere in middle of nowhere of the club, not accessible, and eventually uh, 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 another member would be cleaning there or something, helping out, volunteering. Say, oh, this is a nice book. Takes it home and yeah. never returns, and the other does that, and the whole collection disappears. Yeah. I ask the writers of this uh, article to. Uh, ask themselves about the ASUK, uh, uh, Assyrian Society of UK Books. Uh, but So I didn't want that to happen. I wanted somewhere in an institution where academics could uh, make use of it, write about us, uh, Assyrian students studying there. Um, so I, I, I wasn't convinced, but I said whenever, you know. So the books I collected, I communicated with the lovely family of uh, the late Rabbi Ewell, who's an Assyrian legend indeed. And then we, I found the funds uh, to ship them all to the UK, to Cambridge University, not my personal address. And then eventually with uh, uh, the family of Sargon Polis, no, they shipped uh, the family of Sargon Polis, they, uh, two books really, uh, I don't know, maybe three, but no more. Uh, but they said there is more that they would send and donate uh, to Amar. Uh, so, this Mara was... delayed this uh, process of not knowing where they do. Mara Foundation, they mm-hmm. established in Sweden later on. What to do with the books. They still don't know what to do with the books. But that left me in a limbo. I mean, what do I, what do we do with these books? Uh, because 
now there was a split in where these books should go. They wanted it in a uh, club, and then eventually they got convinced after I uh, pulled out from the committee. Uh, but, you know, I am still on good terms with them until now. Uh, but I expected their answers to be much better than what they answered in this article. That I have to register. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think they got convinced to put it in an institution, and I think they're still searching. But that's still searching of theirs left me in a limbo. We were there. Cambridge offered everything that they wanted. Uh, at one stage, uh, Fadi Dawood from Canada, you know that. Uh, you know Fadi Dawood mm-hmm. from Toronto? Unfortunately, I don't. Yeah, he's a lovely uh, uh, guy. Academic, really. Uh, did his PhD at SOAS on uh, early modern history of Iraq, especially Samel and the Levies. And lovely guy. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, lovely guy. Um, so he also became part of Mara, and then he was the focal point in Mara communicating with Cambridge. You can ask him, because at the last phase it was him. Um, everything we he wanted, Jeffrey didn't say no. Until Jeffrey got to a stage, well, you know, they don't want it. So he got cooled off. He said, Nina, this, is, this was your aspiration. This was your dream. I, well, I wanted to do it, but just forget about it. Let's concentrate on the language. So what these people don't know, when... My office was on the third floor. Um, I came to Iraq for research for Jeffrey, recording, uh, documenting our dialects. So I used to come for two, three months, uh, spent all that time. Uh, when I went back, uh, there was a professor that uh, had retired uh, previously in that office. Mm-hmm. So he had some books there. Um, so I came, no, book, no books, all taken. Uh, it gave me a heart attack. You know, I'm responsible for this directly. Yeah. They, they don't... I mean, the families know Nineb. They don't know Mara. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, certain policies books had not yet arrived. This I'm talking about. Uh, the books I constantly bought and brought me. Yeah. And from my private funds would ship uh, $150, $200 worth of books uh, to the UK so they can be part of Mara. Because it was a plethora of books being published, you know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so these books that were still in boxes and Rabbi Babas uh, uh, books and the professor's books who had retired, none. So I went to Tony, uh, the, uh, the custodian, and I said, were they used? I thought they were all for the professors. They are at King's College now. His office, his, uh, he's a fellow of King's College. Right. So they are at King's College. It took me weeks to manage to go and trace where and then imagine going through the boxes book by book to pick up your books from, from his. his. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when it was in the basement, um, they were uh, asbestos, so they were renovating mm-hmm. because of asbestos, and I think at King's that, College. No, this is when I brought them back, and then okay, the office moved to the basement. So at the basement, they they have converted them to the offices now. Uh, when I learned that, I spoke to Tony. I said, Tony, is there somewhere private I could we could put a mile this zone? He said, No. Uh, it'll go there, and he showed me it could easily go astray with the rest. Right. Um, so I felt responsible for that. I spoke to Jeffrey. He said, "Well, Tony, if he doesn't have a place at the moment, and in this state, uh, rightly so, Jeffrey had called off 
of uh, uh, these books. And we had decided, okay, whatever, which institution Mara decides to choose, and then we'll send them to there. Mm-hmm. So they never chose. We were stuck, you know. Um, so what happened was uh, I took them home. These are your responsibility. Anything small happens to them, then you are responsible. Mm-hmm. Um, other than responsibility, I treasure these books. I I have I have a dream for them to be in an institution where they are being uh, utilized and made use of. Uh, so you constantly, you know, on eggshells. So keep moving them from one area to an area so it's not accessible to your uh, toddler. Um, until uh, this article came out, uh, I cannot take him to Cambridge, uh, and I have people writing about me that I have stolen them. Um, Had the families ever reached out to you to ask you? Uh, apparently, yes. But to be honest with you, um, I had not seen uh, any, but I don't doubt them. They're both lovely families. Um, at one stage, I was really busy being on the field and stuff. Yeah. 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 So um, sometimes I over miss emails, uh, but uh, and sometimes our emails that could be as important as these. But for that, I really wholeheartedly like to apologize to the two families. So in the middle of this situation, uh, a kind, very kind person uh, that uh, read these articles. And very little experience of working with me. Mm-hmm. Contacted me and said, Nina, what's the story? I mean, that's not what I know of of you. See the difference? Um, there are some friends that worked with me, didn't even contact me. Just mm-hmm. took to believe this. This person may be like Shlama Shlama, but they are sincere. So I said, I really... I can tell you because I know you don't have any stake in this. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what happens. Okay, do you want to return them? I did. Yeah, the only reason uh, I had not yet contacted the family to return them back because I wanted to see what Mara wanted to do with them and they yeah. kept me in a limbo. Um, so uh, I said, okay, do, but under one condition. I don't want anyone to know but me and you. She said, why? I said, go read the articles and tell me if it's in the people who wrote the articles' interest for this book to come to return or not. And we communicated and said, okay, I, I can see that what you mean, that it may not be in their interest. I said, but it is in our interest. I want them somewhere good either with the families or the universities. So once word has it that we are returning the books to their rightful owners, um, rather than putting them in a, an academic institution, there are some people that, you know, uh, you know that term? Yeah. Fishing, uh, fishing in polluted water, or seeking to fish, in a, catching a fish in a polluted mm-hmm. water. So I thought they will they would draw on this too. Uh because I feel there are certain groups that 
really don't care about what happens to the books, but they care about bringing Nina down as much as they can. Uh, not just Nina, by the way, I'm not special, huh? Anyone who's opposing uh, the de facto now, uh, offering an alternative uh, uh, to, or it is not in agreement with you. Uh, the, it, it's beautiful to have different points of opinion, you know, but uh, uh, it's not healthy to attack each other below the belt because we are of different opinion. Anyway, so I told them, told that person that, and uh, we through her we returned the books, okay. and I'm glad to say they are not in an academic institution, but they are in a place no less than that. And I'm proud to see where they are. Uh, they went to the uh, Assyrian Cultural Center of Chicago, which is used to be the AUA Foundation, which is one of the best institutions we have. Uh, and it's led by some of the one, most wonderful people, dedicated with a good foresight of what should be done for this nation. Well, that's good news. Yeah. So the books found a home. Yeah, but I never replied right this yeah. is the first time not everything is about proving you are right not everything is about winning sometimes losing is winning i on a short term i lost i lost some people that really believed in me trusted me uh, but i didn't mind why because i know myself i know what i'm doing I know I sleep comfortably, and I know these people are genuine, sincere. So I know in the short period, I might lose them. But in the long run, they're clever enough, sincere enough, and they are avid followers of Assyrian current affairs. Uh, so everything will be clear to them. So... This is the losing, which I didn't mind. The winning is... No, the great loss, not winning. There is no winning. We can't win and lose against each other. We are one. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's a shameful that we talk about that. But the, the great loss would have been if I engaged in this uh, Byzantine polemic or discussion, mm -hmm. uh, fruitless, vicious, uh, vicious uh, circle. It would have meant I would have replied, and they would have replied. I would have replied, and they would have replied. I would have replied, and we would have been there, which it would have taken much of my energy. And if I had any energy, I don't want it to dedicate it to this. I want to dedicate it to the people, most affected communities on the ground, make a difference, not uh, on cyberspace, virtual, uh, uh, but on the ground. Mm -hmm. uh, that's where I wanted my energy. Second of all, our people have lost hope, have lost hope in their political parties, um, and then they have lost hope in their, what they see to be activists, intellectuals. Yeah. If they saw us engage in this polemic, where their lands are being grabbed, where their very existence is being threatened. They say, okay, in Anina, 
if these are our activists and intellectuals, then what hope do we have? I am not for... Uh, I'm always for giving hope for our people, and not false hope. I like to give hope, but give hope where it should be. So I felt this would have caused more despair. You know, hope, uh, you know, they raise our hope and then they, boof, yeah. our hopes, they bring our hopes down. I didn't want to play in that. Others want to, they are free to that. But my advice is, please don't, for the sake of these people, whatever energy we have, uh, okay, Nina, uh, <laughs> ليلا خطيته ليت بغزاي مطاهولين بخا كما لا من خبانت قال قال قد انا وقعد اس يو ونت اور نوت ذي لوك اب تو اس ذي لوك اب تو يو ا يونغ اسيريان وومن ذات ليفت كندا كم هير وركينج اي مين كان شي دو ات ان كندا واي شي دو ات هير اوبفيسلي شي هاز ان اوبجيكتيف شي وونتس تو دو سمثينغ ميك ا ديفرنس جيف ا هوب جيف ا بوزيتيف ميسيف تو ذا بيبل so if they see us too, and this is and this is, I find it sinful to be honest. Yeah, yeah. You know, sacrilegious for it's us to do that. So that was the reasons that I didn't answer. Um, okay. Because I felt they will entangle me and engage me in uh, hearsay, uh, uh, useless uh, polemic, and I didn't have energy for that. Nor did I, I have energy. I'm all energy. You can see me. Yeah. You know, and you've seen me also. Oh my God, I'm, I'm full of energy. But not for this. Yeah. For positive stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, because I have energy for positive stuff, I also want to carry that positiveness and instill it in the heart of our people. Give them hope. Yeah. And I don't want to have any part that uh, increases the despair of our people. That's not me. And these are the re- okay. I lost in a short term. Uh, maybe some people still have that perception of me, but I sleep comfortably, and I'm sure uh, they will see. I have a dream <laughs> that they will dream. see. Yeah, they will see the truth. Yeah. So I have two questions for you. Mm. The first one being: Would you do anything differently in hindsight now? Is there anything that you would do differently in this whole ordeal to? change the outcome or at least av- mm. to have avoided some of the, the controversy that arise? Uh, no, I would have done everything that I have done, but I would have, uh, the only thing was uh, I would have paid more attention to making sure that I am able to, but believe me, you know how many communication, even now, you know the communication that I get, I'm inundated with it. Believe me, I'm not bragging. I, it's it's a curse. It's not a blessing. <laughs> I, I swear to God. No, I know it's hard uh, to get a hold of me. You drove me crazy. Mariam, yeah. <laughs> it's it's a curse. It's not a because 
there are only 24 hours in a day, you know, but um, no excuse. I should have been in greater communication with the lovely, blessed families of the late Rabbi Yul Baba and uh, Sargon Paulus. That, yeah, I regret. I wish I uh, somehow had placed a mechanism mm-hmm. where if I'm inundated with emails, these kind of single out where I can see them, I can answer them, yeah. being more, not wait for them to communicate, I communicate. Yeah, that I would have done differently. Anything else? No, there was no mistake in any of the others. I would still do it again. Yeah. Okay. Question number two. Um, do you think this article that came out was um, somehow linked to your elections campaign? Yes. And slightly deeper. There are People that are genuinely good, but they are genuinely misled. Uh, there are phantoms behind them. Uh, the person who you have uh, complete belief and trust in could have issues with me. Okay. So you inherit these issues. Okay. Uh, the person that you have great trust and believe in uh, we might be very close on what we want for these people but our perspective is different uh, so my political perspectives tend to be on certain area of the political spectrum uh, they might also be there but more towards the middle, maybe, and there there is a different on, of uh, perspective perceptions in there. Uh, these people that you have high uh, hope and trust in never directly communicate and write. Mm. They have you writing. Uh, so I feel sorry for those individuals. They are wonderful, energetic people. And I wish they invest their energy elsewhere. Uh, but they are, to me, with all, honestly, I really apologize to you if you're listening to me. I don't mean to disrespect you, but I think they are misled. Um, the, the people behind them, we had a difference of opinion, not hate, at least not from my side. I never hate, I dislike. There is a huge difference, disliking and hating. Hate can only hurt you, not the other. Uh, so it started from there. Even from my campaign, during the campaign, um, I think the uh, kind person who wrote this article misinterpreted. Uh, I mean, Biden was very clear what I was saying, but could be intentional, could be misunderstanding, maybe not very good in Assyrian. Uh, so misinterpreted and wrote uh, another article about Lena is calling for that. No, I'm not calling for that. Another of their colleagues in a meeting in Chicago, uh, private meeting discussing situation, uh, took my words out of context and misinterpreted and then made a big deal about it. Uh, because these are someone behind that they have trust in that is misleading them. And then when we did the uh, Ashurbanipal exhibition. Okay, what happened uh, 
these people wanted to protest, came to protest, called for protest, organized protest, did not turn up themselves. Um, others wrote, um, I'd say this is a difference, yeah? When you think people first. Um, another person who's also has a finger in this article um, wrote to the British Museum. I mean, that day what we did was... It wasn't the first time that I yeah. organized something like that in um, a few years before uh, Babylon uh, exhibition. We also I also uh, organized that. But no, this time was huge. Uh, the whole day we occupied British Museum. Yeah, I saw of that. total I saw occupation. That. It was British Museum was Assyrians. Yeah. Uh, whole day, and the name was a Living Assyria. Yeah. You know, we complain about these museums not recognizing that, that we are the leg legitimate heirs of our ancient foremothers and forefathers. I don't like forefathers. I should say... <laughs> foremothers only. Foremothers. I, I prefer that. Let's, yeah. you know, <laughs> equity in a sense. <laughs> uh, so, uh, foremothers. Uh, but that day, they called it Living Assyria, you know. And that didn't come out of the blue, by the way. That that took a lot of work. Um, so I uh, uh, and there were other kind people that helped, and uh, together we organized that. Uh, Rashid Pagbas, uh, Hannibal, Kivargis, uh, 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 Hannibal Kivargis. Uh, yeah, I think it is Kivargis, uh, uh, the the Syrian composer. Uh, so. We, we organized that day, and they, another person who has a, she wrote an email to, and much to her dismay, I have a copy of everything, of what she communicated with the British Museum, and, but they don't know I have a very, very good relationship with the British Museum, uh, which goes back when I used to study at SOAS. Uh, so they communicated with me privately and said, this is what has happened. Um, at the time, I could have released these and exposed these people. But where is the hope in that? I would have lost the British Museum. Not mm -hmm. me. I don't care if I lose it. But all people, their perception of us would have been zilch, zero. Yeah. If they had any hope, if we had any hope of organizing something similar or less in the future at the British Museum uh, would have been highly jeopardized mm -hmm. because they communicated with me privately based on the trust, mutual trust that we have between us that established through years, right? So I would betray that trust and then we will try to have this uh, thing that uh, I told you we should avoid where, you know, a few Assyrian, active Assyrians, being them intellectuals or activists, uh, are at each other's head, uh, you know, yeah. like uh, Paul McCartney's uh, uh, song, Little Boy's Biggering. Uh, I didn't want to be a little biggering boy. Um, so I didn't, I didn't do it for the greater good, the greater interest. So the question was, do you feel like these articles somehow jeopardized your campaign? Did they directly affect it? No, affect no, no. These were after the campaign. What uh, mm -hmm. what did not jeopardize my campaign, 
I think my campaign. No, I think I believe my fun campaign was What's effective. Uh, I'll tell you now. I feel, I believe it was effective, uh, but what jeopardized the whole process and affected every the whole election and the quota was such uh, articles, uh, such character assassinations, a little boys figuring, you know. Um, Nina is uh, gay. So what if I am gay? Mm-hmm. If I was gay, I would take pride. I am. Just, you know, I, I'm, I didn't choose to be gay. Yeah. If I was gay, right? <laughs> um, Nina, uh, I don't know. There's so many things that say about me that I, I've lost count. And then about others and about others. One after one against throughout the campaign, I didn't answer anything, but. Uh, I think many people would agree the cannons were headed uh, like directed at me the most, but others also suffered a great deal uh, out of this cheap uh, form. They think it's campaigning, but it's not really. It's 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 uh, character assassination. Uh, I don't know what to call it really. It there, there must be a better term to call it than um Defamation. Defamation, slander. indeed, but uh, it's not just slandering, maybe. That's that. But character assassination is defamation, uh, more or less. But slander people, uh, try to attack their sisters. Their, their mo- oh. They see honor in my sister. Honor is not in my sister and my mother, my daughter, my wife. Honor is what I think, what I stand for. Mm-hmm. Okay? That's where you measure my honor. Mm-hmm. Uh, not by my okay I'll say not by my sister's genitals Mm -hmm. or my mom's genitals my wife's genitals or my daughter's genitals Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. honor is not in the genitals you know Uh, and not certainly in women's genitals only you know men have genitals too if it's honor (laughs) in the men's in the genitals what about men's genitals Uh, please don't cut this I think this is important for all people to hear (laughs) Dear listeners, you heard him. Yeah. So, honor is what I think, what I stand for. These approaches, this put our people off. Chicago, forget Nina. You know how many people went in Chicago, Sukoki, Ninuit, Galuta? Okay. You know, like not even 500 voted, participated. Right. You see, they don't see that. I do. Right. Okay. Not, I'm sorry, I'm not thinking I'm. Oh, well, we have agreed you're superwoman, I'm superman. Yeah. But not because we are what we are, superwoman and superman. But others also see that. People see that. Yeah. People just lost hope. Yeah. They participated in that. And they should review themselves, uh, go back and self-assess their actions. And uh, I, I do. I do on every day. I'm not, I'm not perfect. Every day in the morning, I, when I'm having a shower, brushing my lovely bald hair. <laughs> uh, yes, it's growing. It is growing, shave, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, I don't shave it. I just brush it, you know. <laughs> okay. uh, Tony Curtis haircut, you know. <laughs> yeah. uh, do you know Tony Curtis? It's yeah. a bit before your time. For, not a bit, a lot. Uh, mine too, but... So, uh, let's uh, leave jokes saying... <laughs> <laughs> I dope sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, um, 
what I wanted to say is we really need to and we need to be giving hope, not empty hopes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but certainly not may not participate in our people losing more hope. We cannot afford, or people cannot afford that. No. So I think this did not affect my campaign, but affected community participation in the electoral. Uh, I see. In the elections, because people lost hope. Um, what my campaign was uh, for uh, was very simple. Uh, I think. If you go back to my campaign, I touched on a lot of things. Um, not my words, but other people whom I see as intellectuals, uh, organic intellectuals, mm-hmm. um, tell me that for the first time they saw real campaign in the mm-hmm. Assyrian community. I had PowerPoint presentations. I had points that I campaigned for. A platform. A platform. My platform is A, B, C, D. A, why, what, how. B, why, how. So, you know, they were smart targets. You know what smart target is? So, um, they were smart targets and based on good understanding, fathoming the context. Mm -hmm. Uh, A context that is blended with the diaspora perspective, which I have, yeah, because I lived in the diaspora, and homeland perspective, because I was in great connection with the, uh, the homeland uh, through my um, many visits and daily communication, yeah. and of course following up what's happening. Not only when I say homeland, not just our com- community um, connection with. The people of Iraq, uh, other than Assyrians, focus on people, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the people, not uh, officials, politicians. Right. Um, so, if you ask me to abbreviate what your yeah. platform was, I would say uh, change, not any change, but positive change. But what? What kind of change? Change in uh, politicians that have been uh, active. Uh, you know, uh, they campaign. The campaign. They campaigned alongside the dinosaurs for uh, Stone Age, uh, and still are in the arena. Uh, surely we have not me. Count me about. Mm-hmm. But this nation should surely has other politicians, other capable politicians. I made young Assyrian men and women every day, which. I, this is a bit politically incorrect. The Russians have a word for envy called white envy, where it's positive. You don't have that negative aspect. I like the term, but I don't like white envy. Why mm-hmm. white? That's racist. Right. But let's say positive envy. That I positive envy them. You know, really amazing. Uh, uh, any of them is a successful project for a politician. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, so surely that this nation that has produced Agapotros, Pius Mar Binyamin, Tomo Odo, Asha Polos Bedaru, Naon Faer, Ashur Yusuf, Yohanan Dolabani, surely they played on Aturaya, surely can uh, uh, Shamiram, uh, 
Rabbi Taketi Isho, you know, surely they it can produce others. So change in politicians that have been in in in, in decision making uh, positions since uh, early 90s until now, and let's measure uh, the outcomes of their presence in decision-making positions, we won't see much. Uh, so a change in that. Okay. Uh, a change of how we approach our case. I'm a strong believer in bottom-up, not top-down. Right. Grassroots. That was one. Uh, a change in really how you deal with the politicians in here, in the, in the KRG, and in, in federal uh, uh, Iraq, what you demand, how you demand it, and how resolved you should be. What, uh, what things you can negotiate on, what things are not negotiable. Right. And uh, how do you communicate these non-negotiable to the politicians? Um, these non-negotiables, uh, do you achieve them just with the politicians of the other, not your own, uh, or there are other tactics that we could learn from uh, other oppressed nations, you know, uh, India, East Timor, mm -hmm. even America, uh, South Africa. Uh, there are so many examples. So this is what, uh, for example, it was taken out of context of one of my campaigns. I said, okay, some might say, they justify their current party-based, personal-based, interest-based policies and on, you know, the arm uh, struggle period, right. Zena. Uh, the revolutionary days are over now, it's politics. But who say politics is not, cannot be revolutionary? You don't, to be a revolutionary uh, and to have a revolutionary policies, uh, politics does not mean you necessarily just have to carry a gun and go on the mountains and right. uh, join the armed struggle. Mm. You could be a revolutionary politician in the parliament right. with revolutionary policies. Right. Um, so that was taken again. Nina was saying there is no longer revolutionary. Uh, revolution is belittling the armed struggle that mm. Uh, uh, those that sacrifice themselves through the armed struggle. But I called for revolutionary politics. So, revolutionary politics, you know, uh, does it mean we can only work on revolutionary politics in the uh, parliament? Or much of it is also on the street? Right. Okay. And how do you do it on the street? Who do you align with? Uh, do I go and align with Maliki when the Iraqi public forget Assyrians. Our Assyrians directly were affected by this. When Iraqi public sees it outright that it was Maliki that sold these governments to Daesh. Mm -hmm. Okay, so how do I align with myself with that? Uh, or should I align myself with uh, the the pulses of change on the street, and how do I do that? These were things that I, I wanted for, and still is the way forward, to be honest. And this is what they should understand, our people, no, our people understand it. Our claimed politicians, claimed 
well, petty bourgeois, petty intellectuals. Petit intellectuel. Yeah, petit intellectuel, oui. Oui. Uh, français, no. Okay, uh, I speak Le Quart Franc, not French, sorry. Uh. <laughs> Going back to that. So that, this is what they want to understand, they need to understand, uh, Mariam. And that's where we can move forward. This is where you will have non-Assyrians advocating for Assyrians. And it's achievable. Yeah. Really, really achievable. It's not a dream. But even if it was, everything starts from a dream. Absolutely. Let's 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 have not one person, but a group of Assyrians standing on in in in, uh, in streets. They think we have a dream. Yeah. And then that being resonated by non Assyrians. How beautiful is that? It, it's achievable. Huh? It's, it's not... achievable. Yeah. And it's beautiful. And that's the way forward. That's the only way forward. Not in the parliament. Even if you were in the parliament, but the, I mean, five five seats. What what can you vote? So if not, you. Yes, exactly. You, that brings me to you. Bring, this brings me to another question. You were calling for boycott of the elections this year. Yeah. Why yeah. was that? Um, for knowing my context, for reading, because I am in touch. I'm constantly in one government. Uh, uh, every day, uh, from south to north, uh, in touch with uh, uh, the activists, the local authorities, the on uh, some projects we also uh, work with uh, the prime minister's office. So I know what the government is thinking, what the public, the people are thinking, what, the, um, and knowing this, I warn them and I say, it's not yours. Your participation will endorse what they will do to you in this election. It's not yours. You don't have a quota. Right. You have a quota under your name, but it's not yours. You open the path for this uh, by getting help from KDP at one stage. And then KDP learned it. Said, why am I KDP being uh, party? Kurdish, so, uh, Dem- uh, Kurdish uh, Democratic Party. Kharta, uh, they learned it. And then you started opening your uh, the window to PUK, right. their uh, opposition, uh, Yekati, in, Sul- in Suli, uh, Suleimania. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, and then others. In the south, oh, okay. So, but the, why open the window? We can get through the door wide open. Right. So, uh, this election was pretty clear. It, in the last election, there were fears, but we thought we have the power; we can stand right. and move, mobilize our people, and somehow bring it back to its core. Uh, but this, this. Biggering, little boys biggering, shattered uh, uh, that dream, of course. Um, but for this election, it was clear. Right. You can't. So, any participation is an endorsement of the qazukh that they would give to us. Okay? Uh, so, I don't want to endorse that. And I don't think all people should endorse that. So, the, we lost our political parties, even if I'm in disagreement with many of them, 
but they remain our political parties that yeah. were conceived within the womb of this nation and given birth by a pure womb of this nation, not conceived illegitimately. Mm -hmm. Okay? Uh, so, despite our disagreements, they remain, uh, you know, legitimate, not illegitimate. Uh, but, of course, the policies are much, much, leaves much to be desired. So, <clears throat> they did not lose simply because, uh, you know, the votes came from outside uh, the Syrian people, community. That's a huge part of it. But the other part, which they are trying to overshadow, is our people did not vote. Their cadres did not vote. Mm -hmm. You know, because they no longer believed in them and in the system. Okay? So we read this. And now what can they say? What would they say? They tried, but well, let them go and um, argue it in court. They, this, they can't. You endorsed it. Your participation was an endorsement of it. Imagine if no legitimately conceived Assyrian political party ran for this quota. You know what message that would have sent? Yeah, what you said. We don't believe in this. Yeah. Okay? See, when you believe in revolutionary politics, then you can practice your politics in parliament or outside the parliament. But once you let go of your revolutionary roots, then you see the light only in the parliament. And in the parliament, the light you see is your seat, not the aspirations of the nation. Okay? So when it becomes that, then you would run at any cost. Because your objective has become this empty seed that you want to warm your bottom with. You know? uh, unfortunately, that's the case. But uh, I think, again, there is no disappearing here. Our people can, are phoenix, phoenixes. They can rise from these ashes. They have risen from great yeah, ashes. Uh, so, but. Uh, it's time to self-reflect as people, as political parties, as petit bourgeois. How do you pronounce petit, it? Petit bourgeois. Yeah. Petit bourgeois. As uh, organic intellectuals, as aspiring activists, as aspiring intellectuals, as thinkers, as uh, as as normal as farmer, as uh, you know, daily worker. We all need to self-reflect. Only through the self-reflection we will see that we can we see arise from this fall. Yeah, yeah. We we, we are at the, many feel that we are in a pit. I I, I think um, if you are on the peak of the mountain, where you, how are you going to go up even further? Right. Yeah. We are at the bottom of the valley now, but that that's that's an opportunity for us to sit down and plan how we get to the peak. Yeah. Yeah. Where we're in the peak, where else can we go, you know? So, um, there is an opportunity in this, and I think there are many options for us uh, to uh, get back where we should. Get get the train on track, 
and I think we can. Really, I believe, really, we can. Uh, but it will need self-reflection, uh, reviewing what we have done as individuals, uh, as groups. Uh, and I really see hope, uh, Mariam, I really do. I, uh, I'm not just trying to, you know, make false hope, uh, create false hope because I think our people need it at this time. No. In fact, I see greater hope now than ever since 91. That's incredible. Why do you see greater hope now? Just because of this fall or has... There been something in the air. Has there been a change that you're seeing? Because now uh, there is an opportunity to create change and create alternatives. You know, uh, because those people that were uh, opposing changes and alternatives have no choice now. They have been cornered. They now have to come to the game of the people. Really start listening to the people. When you start listening to your people, you have two choices. You either change. Or remain as you are, and if you remain as you are, you are marginalized and then eventually uh, rotten out and uh, disintegrate. disintegrate. Uh, and I don't think anyone would wish that for themselves. Uh, I, I, I highly doubt that anyone would want that. Uh, so they would have to change. And I think also gives opportunity, not for Nineveh, Nineveh is gone, but for young men and women, new faces. Uh, or gives us opportunity to uh, capacitate uh, and empower our youth and women through uh, UNCSRs 1325 and 2250, Youth, Peace and Security, Women, Peace and Security. Uh, what does this mean? Uh, how do you uh, implement this? How Build a Syrian civil society. We don't have a civil society. Right. Okay. We need to focus on building uh, a Syrian uh, civil society, empower our youth and women, and create young, new blood alternatives. It's not important that I have to be belonging to a political party for me to run for it. You, you, Mariam, can run for elections. Why not? Uh, in fact, I think you stand better chance now. So Believe giving me. me an idea now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I, uh, I, hopefully. I like to see that. So, uh, and I'm not, uh, you know, paying your lip service here. <laughs> really, it, it is truly, uh, I would like to see young men and women such as yourself actually, you know, politically participating. So I think we have four years. Four years in the life of a nation is nothing. We have an opportunity for four, uh, of four years to self-reflect and create good alternatives, you know. Uh, and I think good alternatives would be when we focus on building a Syrian civil society, to we focus on uh, capacitating our youth and women, preferably youth of both genders, and focus on youth, but both genders, and create alternatives out of these, and have them run for elections, but not necessarily elections, but if they want to, yes, uh, but capacitate them and have them politically participating. They can make a change. We need a new blood. See, our uh, revolutionary, our parties which had uh, revolutionary inceptions were by young blood. We need young blood now. It's Currently, it's stagnated. Yeah. yeah, it's stagnated. Nina, there's some projects that uh, you've worked on that I'd really love to to talk about with you. Mm. One of them being, and you mentioned it earlier, recording dialect. So, what was your objective there? Well, uh, I was uh, 
working on archaeology and cuneiform, and then Jeffrey always I say it's like a father figure for me. Well, not as like is a father figure for me. Uh, said Nina, why are you going on the ancient past? But you have is endangered. It's your language. So instead of uh, uh, digging past and studying it, preserve what is about to be lost. So he made sense to me, and then I started studying. And uh, through that, we worked on um, documenting dialects and transcribing, translating, uh, working on uh, analyzing their grammar. But in Iraq, I spent uh, years recording uh, these the narratives and the grammar. It's beautiful, and sometimes very funny too. Can I mention an anecdote? Yeah, <laughs> yeah of course. <laughs> it's um, this my dad's cousin from uh, Semele. So uh, I recorded him, and he realized it's taking, it's taking hours, hours, hours. So I said, "Can I go today?" And we record. Uh, I said, "Okay, tomorrow." He said, "Okay." I said, "What time?" He said, uh, "Anytime you want." I said, "Okay, nine a.m." You know, and he said. He can't say no to me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm a lovable person. But right. Also, uh, the the blood relation. Yeah. Uh, so he said, okay. I called him the next day. He said, well, Barmamo, uh, uh, cousin, I'm not, you know, I'm in, in Sorka. I'm watering my uh, uh, orchard. Uh, and I said, okay, I'll come to you. He said, no, but I'm busy watering. I said, yeah, but you're not going to water all day. Yeah. He said, Oh, so you're coming? I said, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I went there. So what it was, I, I have the question. This is now the grammatical questionnaire. Uh, I have a list of grammatical questions, which could be monotonous. For example, uh, went, gone, uh, going. Right. So all the tenses, all the... Uh, yeah. So <clears throat> conjugations yeah. um, of a verbal root. Uh, you know, it's a little bit complicated. So... Um, what I do, I have the questions there, the mic, uh, the Zoom recorder there, and I'll ask and he answers, and then I get the question. So after a while, uh, he gets the ha- you know the habit of, I'll say, how do you say, not to influence his dialect, I'll ask him in English or Kurdish or Arabic, any language he speaks other than right. Assyrian. So because uh, if I was to say, uh, uh, how do you say ta? He might not say here because I say ta. ta yeah. He might say ta. So just to avoid that, I'll say, uh, 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 how do you say wara? Uh, how do you say ta'al? Uh, how do you say gal? Come? In any language, yeah. but not now. So um, he would answer or she would answer and so on. Uh, gone. Uh, ta. Come. Tile. Hele. Went. Zille. And so on. Yeah. yeah? Uh, so it becomes automatic at one stage I kept on asking and there was no answer I'm asking no answer I look up he's like, <laughs> <laughs> snoring <laughs> that must have been very loud so I wanted that intentionally because when I transcribed it, that section I could not stop laughing because he, he can't and all of a sudden I'm asking and he's answering asking he's answering asking he's not answering and then <laughs> so that slowly builds up to a nice orchestra of snow. The poor guy. <laughs> yeah, so you have some. Uh, there are many beautiful anecdotes uh, uh, in there. Uh, 
Jeffrey has some too, actually. Yeah. He shares in his lectures also. So how many dialects are you guys recording? Wow, I recorded a lot of dialects. Uh, personally with Jeffrey a lot and uh, other uh, research students and fellows of Jeffrey have uh, and him also. Um, I can mention the ones I have done. Uh, Saad, Barwa, uh, Shaklawa, Armota, uh, I've recorded Ankawa, I've done uh, Saranai, uh, I've done uh, Ormijdai of Caucasia, but, uh, I've done uh, a lot of recording of certain Tiare dialects, you know, that there are, Tiare is it's not one no, yeah, there are uniform many. dialect, yeah. you have Tiare Leta, and within that you have, for example, Tiare Leta, Saraspido, don't speak like uh, um, Waltawai. Right. Yeah, and Waltawai do not speak like Tiltamar, Nathalan, Aya, the Tiaray of Jammat Malik Ismail, you know. Uh, for example, in Jammat Malik Ismail, which is in Tiltamar, they would say, Eri, Basha. Right. Walter would say, Eri, not Eri, Didi, not Didi, but they still say Basha. Right. Uh, where is uh, Saraspido? No. Batha Eidi. Hmm. They both Tiaraleta, you see? Yeah, yeah. And Tiaraleta also has this sub-dialects in Jilu also. Oh, I've recorded a lot of Jilu. Gawar. Uh, uh, like grandma's from Gawar. Gawar. All Jiluai and Gawarnaya uh, have intermarriages. Yeah. Uh, so you have... Um, also, uh, I've recorded a lot of Salamas. Um, uh, salamas, a lot of people consider it Urmi, but Salamas is separate than Urmi. Mm. But it's in Iran because uh, very much bordering uh, Russia in a way. And uh, Jilu, really, yeah. they speak like Jilai more or less. In uh, uh, Gawilan also. Uh, Enough other Urmi dialects for for the Jeffrey's book, uh, you know, authoritative book on uh, Urmi grammar. So, yeah, there are a lot of dialects. It's lovely. You learn so much yeah. by the. Uh, it's not just the language you learn, and uh, but also because in the narrative, uh, you ask them, you need them to talk, and, and so the grammar you documented comes out. Because you don't have text, right? You want yeah. to create text by them talking. So uh, you find them, you find where they can talk about the most and in length. Yeah. So you start asking questions in there. So through that, you learn so much about our history, our culture, yeah. uh, our, the massacres, the oppressions that we have got, and the bravery and how we have stood up. To, you know, so there are so much you can learn from yeah. documenting language, really, that cannot, that is not usually uh, naturally perceived that it's connected with language. But yeah. through that, you get to know so much. That's very interesting. And will you be doing anything with the stories that you collected through recording dialects? Uh, I published Allah uh, Ikhlis, a stolen title uh, collection, poetry of collection. That was all based on uh, I witness testimonies that I uh, documented of uh, through language uh, on uh, 
Somalia, the genocide uh, and the Khabur, what happened in Khabur in 2014 in our district So that was built on, based all on these testimonies. For example, I can mention Nina Nina, that's based on what I documented in uh, uh, Armenia, among the Assyrians in Armenia. On uh, Subthana Yutha in Canada, I documented it from a uh, lady, an Assyrian lady from Khabur that was there, meaning vegetarianism, that poem, mm-hmm. it's all about that. Leo um, Khachnan, it's about the testimony of my grandfather. Uh, and so on. I mean, this is what comes to mind. But that whole collection is based on these uh, testimonies uh, that I documented through language documentation. Interesting. So a whole uh, collection of poems based on. Uh, yeah, based on yeah. Um, yeah, that uh, that's how I made use out of it. Do you have a favorite poem that you've written, obviously? My written or others have written? That you have written. I think all my poems are favorite poems for me. I can't choose. It's like you can't choose between. It's very cliche, right? It's very <laughs> yeah, cliche. Yeah, it's so cliche. Uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's speaking, saying it out, hearing it out loud, it came as a cliche, but really it's true. Okay, uh, but yeah, I think cliche, uh, yeah. maybe, but I can tell you who, uh, favorite poem. Of others. Okay, uh, sure, let's do that. Uh, I can mention two. Urkhil, Shakar Sifo. Urkhil, Bathar Urkhil, that poem. Now, goosebumps still now. But Shakar Sifo is, gives you goosebumps. The second uh, poem is a poem that uh, Hormus and Darius wrote. Romans Andrius was arrested in the 80s among the, the martyrs, Yosef mm-hmm. Bibot Yohanna, uh, and tortured uh, along with them. He has a poem about, uh, the poem is called Gullash Qurrazi. Bullet, take my secrets away with you. Mm-hmm. It's about the martyrdom of Sada Sheba or Sada Jamil that passed, they were martyred in Hijirki. Uh, a village where uh, my f- father's cousins live. Uh, he wrote about the bravery of how they fought and they how were martyred and uh, Shada uh, Sheba how he using the last bullet he had suicided so they can take him torture him and take words out of him. Wow. So that's where Gulla Shkurrazi. Wow. So bullet or bullet take you uh, take my secrets away uh, with you. That poem is amazing. Um, actually, I feel a lot of Hormuz Andrei's poems because they are sincere. Mm-hmm. I feel sincerity in what he writes. So is Shakespeare. Shakespeare was from another world, really. Um, should they have, he, he should have a statue uh, somewhere. Uh, recognizing his great literary works. And from the past, I would say uh, uh, I like very much uh, Rabbi uh, Jan al-Khas, um, especially his collection of poems called Mushkhat uh, al you know, uh, Poetry of the Exiled. Uh, uh, 
شلون سلام از ارخدمه برخدمه سافر دمه برخدمه I think a journey uh, uh, of blood on a path of tears or vice versa so yeah but mine going back to mine going back to mine yeah I think I can now place it which one is it? Um, Ta'a can you which is our house number in uh, Arafa Kirkuk yeah it's a poem I wrote after the first time I came back to Iraq and visited our uh, home and uh, through that I touched on my uh, father my childhood uh, yeah yeah I think that would be it is that are those tears I see in your eyes right now remembering that poem things associated with that poem, yes. It's very close. I said you reconcile, and uh, tears are good. You know, sometimes we... During the campaign, for example, I was ridiculed for crying, but we are human. Mm-hmm. You cry when you feel. You act when you feel. Um, and you are moved to do good when you feel. So, yeah, they are. I, there are certain things that you can never forget. Uh, they live with you. They become you. They, you breathe them. Um, yeah, I, I remembered all these things. that uh, It was very hard for me to go back uh, and see that house, trace my footsteps. Yeah, I think that would be it. Why did you have to ask that question? <laughs> I knew this was wrong. Yeah, why did you? You made. I never thought about what would be my favorite poem until you asked. Um, yeah, that that's definitely it. Anita, is there anything you want to leave our listeners with? Some food for thought. A yeah. Message. Yeah, I think at this stage the most important is message is for our uh, people is uh, think critically make decisions critically uh, don't believe everything you read uh, analyze what you read don't take decisions by emotions uh, try to see the situation right emotionally I might my family might have contributed to a particular particular institution political party but don't go by my family's always been this um, analyze things make decisions correctly participate politically if you are in the West uh, participate politically uh, I wouldn't say penetrate but uh, you know I'm not saying penetrate isn't like um, sneaky but um, get into politics in the country you are um, and try to do good positive changes in the country that you are while benefiting your people in the country you are and in the homeland and for uh, the homeland people in the homeland yes especially the youth uh, get involved in Iraqi civil society 
Um, the lessons learned from there create an Assyrian civil society that does not exist, uh, build the capacities of the youth uh, on 2250, which is Youth, Peace and Security, UN Security Council Resolution 2250, build their capacities on uh, uh, men and women uh, on uh, UNCCS, UNCSR, 1325, which is one peace and security, how these youth are force of change, uh, political participation, and these women can uh, uh, be a force for change and uh, by polit uh, uh, politically participating. So I think uh, the message is think critically, make decisions critically, uh, don't rush in your decisions, don't make them on emotions, uh, get involved uh, politically um, and uh, create a, a Syrian civil society by getting into Iraqi civil society and bringing those lessons learned and emulating them uh, in the Syrian community. I think these are very important things. Yes, they definitely are. Mm. Nina, we've laughed, we've cried. Mm. Thank you so much for this oh. conversation. No, thank you for having me, and uh, thank you for Anna Gozit Dere Komani. Bravo, Basini. Those listening are missing out on this, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah some fresh walnuts from mm. the villages of Sapna. Yeah. Talk to you soon, Nina. Yeah, and to definitely. our listeners, we'll talk to you soon as well. Thank you all. Thanks for tuning in to the Assyrian Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. This was my last one for this year, but I hope to be back in the new year with more stories from the homeland. In the meantime, be well.